The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Manhattan, and here is your top five at five. Brace for more selling after Wall Street's worst day since May. And if history is any guide, today's pre-market loss is likely to hold through the close. Fed Chairman Jay Powell spooking stock owners. See pledges to finally get forceful about inflation. All this is best against the broader S&P 500 pile up, hitting levels not seen since the height of the pandemic. The bond market doing something this morning for the first time since the financial crisis. Later on, Europe's energy issues not going anywhere anytime soon. As futures price for some natural gas contracts hit their highest levels ever. And business owners, they're starting to feel the pain. I'll tell you all about it on this Monday, August 29th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and maybe today we should say wherever in the galaxy you are watching, because we also have some cool outer space stuff coming up. It's not all bad news. We've got something to bring you together. I'll show that to you coming up, but right now, let us blast off with your Monday money stock futures. Unfortunately, they are down across the board. Cue the scary music. The U.S. dollar on the rise again. NASDAQ futures down about one and a half percent off 160 points. Dow futures off 277 points. We are coming off what can only be called a rough Friday, and I'm being a little bit light on that, and a rough week for most stocks. The S&P and the Dow losing more than 3% each. The NASDAQ losing nearly 4% all on Friday alone. All this as Jay Powell threw a new word into the mix in Jackson Hole forcefully saying, quote, restoring price stability will take some time and requires using our tools forcefully to bring demand and supply into better balance. Reducing inflation is likely to require a sustained period of below trend growth, end quote. That new ad to the Fed's language sent stock owners running. And you may want to brace for more volatility this week as well as we enter September, which is historically the worst month of the year for the S&P 500. And according to our friends at Bespoke Investment Group, over the past 70 years, when a 3% S&P 500 loss has occurred on a Friday, the following trading day, a.k.a. Monday, has seen an average of a 1.5% decline. Right now, the NASDAQ futures are down exactly 1.5%. Checking bonds, a 10-year yield is taking higher. It's at 3.11%. But the big move is certainly on the shorter end of the fixed income curve. And if we take a look at the two-year note, Yields there hitting their highest level since 2007. This morning at nearly 3.5%. In the oil market, crude oil is staying high right now at 93.5 bucks. Natural gas, it also continues to tick higher as well. Two things you want to watch in oil. Number one, some increased fighting over the weekend between different factions in Libya. It does risk the specter of a possible export cut. And two, the possible beginning of a tropical storm in the central Atlantic. It is early, 
But something does look to be taking shape. Now, so far, as we told you last week, it has been one of the calmest early hurricane seasons since records have been kept going back at least 60 years. Zero named storms in October or October, August. First time that has happened since 1997. We don't want to jinx it. Let's hope it stays that way, particularly with the SPR being low where it is, but still something to watch. Also watching crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin fall below $20,000 once again. It is at 19000 and change, 800 really. All right, let's get check on the overnight action in Asia and in Europe as well, with the UK markets being closed. That has not stopped our Jumana Brissetti from still working, and she is in our London newsroom with that. Good morning, Jumana. Morning, Brian. As you mentioned, we're seeing a bit of a global route everywhere for stock markets overnight in Asia as well. A lot of red on the screen right behind me, with the exception of the Shanghai Composite in China up about a tenth of a percentage point, though we did have slightly weaker profits for the industrial sector overnight on back of uh, ongoing lockdowns because of COVID. Uh, Hang Seng, you can see down about seven tenths of a percentage point, taking their cue from the Nasdaq on Friday. It's a lot more tech heavy, that index. And then the Nikkei down 2.7 percentage point, taking us back to where we were just a couple of weeks ago. As for European markets as well, the picture isn't that much better over here. Every single one of these indices is trading in the red. A lot of focus on the Zetra DAX today in Germany down 1.6 percentage points. Some of those industrial giants that are heavily reliant on gas as an input are trading towards the bottom. And very quickly, I just want to show you what's happening in the front end of the yield curve because we are seeing some major moves today. Two-year Italian yields are about 17 basis points higher. And then the two-year SHAT, the two-year Bund, is also up a similar amount. Investors are beginning to now price in a 75 basis point hike out of the ECB in that next meeting, very similar to what investors are pricing in for the Fed. The ECB as well are saying that they will do whatever it takes to tame inflation, even if it means a recession, Brian. Yeah, getting tough and adding that word forcefully here, sending stocks down as well. Looks like some of that is translating overseas. Jumana, we appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, back home on Wall Street here, investors' sentiment turning more bearish by the day. New data this morning showing net short positions against the S&P 500 are currently at their highest level since June of 2020. Investors also boosting their bets against some large-cap tech stocks. Invesco QQQ ETF, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, of course, names like Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon, is seeing a big jump in short selling as of late, something we told you about last week. According to S3 Partners, short interest in the triple Q rose 28% in the last 30 days to nearly $25 billion, or 14% of its free float. Joining us now to talk about all of it is Craig Johnson, Chief Market Technician at Piper Sandler. Craig, it's good to have you back on at this critical time. Obviously, a lot of technical damage has been done to the markets, particularly last week and on Friday alone. Is the 4,000 level on the S&P 500 a nice round number, or does defending that level actually mean something? Well, Brian, there's no question that uh, that is a very key technical level. It is also very close to where the 50-day moving average is at, which is at uh, 3,996. So that's really going to be a very important level to be watching in here. Brian, last week's, you know, the Powell push, kind of uh, pushing this market lower last week, was, uh, you know, caught a lot of people off guard on the equity side, but it really didn't catch many investors off guard on the bond market side of the world. We didn't really see a huge spike up in the two-year. The 10-year didn't really move up, and we didn't really see a huge move in the dollar. All these things I would have thought we would have seen, um, but again, bringing it back to equities, 
that 50-day moving average is going to be a pretty important level to watch. And then after that, 39.81, which would be a retracement of 50% of the move off of those June lows to the August highs we had just put in. Those are going to be the two things that I'm really yeah. going to be watching in coming days. What if we don't hold 39.81? Uh, if you don't hold 39.81, then the odds increase that you're going to go all the way back down and have to retest those June lows. And uh, those June lows would uh, uh, be meaningfully lower. Those June lows would get you back down to uh, the 36.36 level. And uh, then you got the opportunity to say, could we make a double bottom in here? But any sort of break below those lows, Brian, would then usher in a new leg lower. But all that being said, let's try to put a little bit of a positive spin on this, right? When you go back and you try to use 2020, coming off of those lows as a guide, a lot of people were looking for some sort of double bottom low. One of the things that we were watching were these retracement levels. Did you retrace, you know, 37%, 50%? And we didn't see a lot of stocks doing that. That's going to what we're going to be really need to be honing in on to decide if, hey, is our price objective for the year right? Do we need to change it? Or are we going to break down for a further low? In addition, keeping an eye on the bond market to see if more uh, hawkishness needs to be priced in. Yeah, it's kind of unusual, Craig, that, you know, Friday we had this huge move in stocks, which a lot of that may have been options set up, something that we talked about in this program, the idea of market structure set up going into September, et cetera. The bond market, at least the 10-year, maybe not the two, bond market didn't move much. It's kind of odd. That, that is odd. The bond market did move. The dollar is sitting at key overhead resistance levels around 109. Uh, you need to break above 109, 110 for something else to happen there. And then, Brian, think about it this way. It's Friday. It's summer. And that we get a thousand point sell off in the Dow. And you look at the volume numbers and they were 2% below the 30 day average. So putting it all together, again, I want to be you know clear that we could see a deeper pullback. But there's certain things that we're going to be watching technically in this market to see if this is just going to be a a little bit of a pullback off of an 18% move off of those June lows. Again, we've corrected about 6% of it. You got 1.5% to go back to the 50-day. I'm tired of being the grim reaper this early on a Monday morning, Craig. We like opportunity. You want to buy low. You want to buy for the future. Talk to us about NVIDIA. Talk to us about range resources. Give us some opportunity. Opportunity Monday is what we call it today. Why not? us made that up. You know, Brian, we're still overweight. Yeah, it's a good makeup. Uh, we still like what we see in the energy space. Uh, we continue to look at this as sort of innocent until proven guilty. And Range Resources is one of those companies. A lot of investors were looking at energy saying it can't work any further. They were taking profits. You haven't had a big uptrend break. Uh, that's range resources. If we look at NVIDIA, uh, despite all the negative news, the sort of uh, quarterly miss that occurred, we didn't really see the stock break down to a new low. So if stocks aren't going to break down on negative news, I would view that as a positive sign. And then lastly, Brian, in the healthcare space, uh, another area we remain overweight, I look at stocks like CRISPR. This is a stock that has been very uh, meaningfully off of its highs. It looks like it stopped finally making a series of lower lows and lower highs and looks like it's sort of making what I would define as a pretty attractive looking base. So those would be three names for Opportunity Monday, Brian, that uh, we should focus on. Yeah, I like it. NVIDIA range resources. And every time I talk about CRISPR therapeutics, I think about Crispin Glover, the actor, and then I think about you are my density. Craig Johnson, we appreciate your views as always on this Monday morning, my friend. Have a great day. Thank you, Brian. 
All right, meantime, all right, you're very welcome. All right, McFly, let's get a few of this morning's top corporate stories, including some good news. Yes, good news about electric vehicle jobs in the Midwest. Savannah Hanau is here with that and more. Savannah, good morning. Hey, Brian, good morning. Happy to bring some good news. Honda and LG Energy Solutions are joining forces to build a new EV battery factory in Ohio. Construction is set to begin next year with mass production slated to start in 2025. LG Energy Solution, which is mainly engaged in the development of lithium-ion battery materials, also has joint venture agreements with General Motors, Hyundai, and Stellantis. Vivek Sharma, Meta Platform's executive in charge of Horizon, the company's primary virtual reality platform and its gateway to access the the metaverse, says he is leaving Meta for a new opportunity. Sharma has been with Facebook parent Meta for the past six years, holding high-ranking positions in marketplace and gaming, and most recently, its metaverse-related business unit. And Netflix is reportedly considering pricing its new ad-supported tier at about 7 to $9 a month, which would be half as much as its current and most popular plan, which costs just over $15 a month with no commercials. According to Bloomberg, the company is planning to sell approximately four minutes of ads per hour for the new tier and will show ads during and before some programs, but not after. The report adds no commercials will be shown during children's programming. The tier also restricts any content downloading for offline viewing, Brian. I don't mind the ads too much. It gives you a little break. Yeah, if you break on the on the monthly bill, that too. Start adding up all these different. <laughs> I know. Start adding up all these different streaming charges. You pretty much get to yeah cable. Yeah, Come on exactly. Now. Thank you very much. <laughs> you got it's, it. Brian. It's just what did Jim Gaff, Jim? I think Jim Gaffigan said just bundle them all together and call it cable. All right, we are just getting started. We come back on this busy Monday. Tensions flaring up overseas after yet another high profile visit to Taiwan. From one U.S. lawmaker, implications ahead. Plus, NASA set to embark on a new chapter of space exploration with an historic launch today. We're going to take you live to the Kennedy Space Center this morning. And later on, much more on Friday's market sell-off and where our next guest says he is finding value right now. Busy hour still ahead. Futures are down. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. we got a developing story for you this morning overseas. Taiwan saying a legislative commission from its government will visit Washington, D.C. next month in an effort to boost bilateral ties. 
The announcement follows three separate U.S. delegation visits to the island in the past month from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey, and Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. This is military tensions continue to simmer. The U.S. sending two warships through the Taiwan Strait over the weekend for the first time since Pelosi's visit. According to the Navy, the voyage demonstrates the United States' commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. Meantime, China monitored that movement, saying troops should remain alert and be ready to defend any provocation at any time. Joining us now with investor implications is DeWardrick McNeil, Longview Global Managing Director, Senior Policy Analyst, and a CNBC contributor. DeWardrick, great to have you back on again. Uh, what do you make about this? It feels like both sides are almost purposely sort of taunting each other. How does this ultimately play out? Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. Look, I think it's fair to say the floodgates are open. You know, there used to be a time where there was some self-restraint and some self-censorship around how U.S. lawmakers engaged with or visited Taiwan. But what we've seen, Brian, is over the last decade, since China has continued to ramp up pressure on Taiwan, uh, U.S. lawmakers are eager to show their support for Taiwan. So tensions are only going to increase, uh, Brian. This is not just an August recess event or Speaker Pelosi visit. What we're seeing is sustained engagement and the U.S. very prepared to show, visibly show, support for Taiwan. So if I'm a business with interest in both uh, China and Taiwan, you have to monitor this because there's a hypersensitivity around this. And the margin for error, I think, for many businesses is going to be extremely narrow. You'll recall, Brian, some people uh, will uh, recall that businesses have gotten in trouble for coloring in China's view, Taiwan, the wrong color on their website or misstating the status of Taiwan. Uh, I think those sorts of mistakes going forward are going to be very difficult for businesses as this tension continues to rise. I read an article in uh, Stars and Stripes over the weekend to Wardrick, which said that a Coast Guard, U.S. Coast Guard ship or a naval ship had been denied port in the Solomon Islands, something that was unusual. And they sort of took it to mean that maybe there are smaller islands like the Solomons that are starting to side with China around certain things. I mean, how critical is this ocean and that region in the world to global stability? Well, Brian, freedom of navigation is a real serious issue for the U.S. You just uh, referenced uh, two uh, U.S. warships, the Antietam, uh, which uh, crossed into the Taiwan Strait. So as the U.S. Navy continues to bump up against the PLA, I think it's important for China and the U.S. to maintain military-to-military dialogue. You'll know China cut this off after the speaker's visit to Taiwan. I think this is the absolute wrong time to close down communication so that we can prevent misunderstanding, miscalculations, and mishaps. So I'm hoping that China renews uh, its military-to-military dialogue with the U.S. soon. Yeah, and and not have what you would call a hot war. There already obviously is, I want to call it any kind of a cold war, but certainly a lot of rising tensions. DeWardrick McNeil, really appreciate you up early and uh, coming on the program. DeWardrick, have a great day. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Brian. Scary stuff overseas. All right. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, still on deck. 40 Saudi Aramco Vice President Sadat al-Husseini is here. His take on a possible civil war in Libya, the price of oil, now Europe's energy crisis all plays out. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Back. Why don't we step outside? Welcome back. Why don't we step outside the ominous music and the doom and gloom of the markets and talk about something cool and fun? This is a live look at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, where in just a few hours, NASA will launch its Artemis One mission. Space launch system rocket being used will take part in a month-long journey around the moon. CNBC.com space reporter Michael Sheets is live at the Kennedy Space Center with more. On today's historic launch, I'm jealous, Mike. Good to have you there. Why is this launch so important for NASA and maybe for America in general? Hey, Brian, and welcome to the world's busiest spaceport, where the towering SLS rocket that you can see over my shoulder and the Orion capsule it's carrying are standing ready for launch in just a couple hours here. The energy here is intense, with over 200,000 spectators expected in the area, including Vice President Kamala Harris herself expected to attend it to watch as well. Now, this is a mission that represents the first full demonstration of the system that NASA hopes to use to carry astronauts back to the moon's surface and establish a presence on the moon. Now, Artemis 1, the mission launching today, is not going to be carrying astronauts and is not going to be landing on the moon, but it will travel on about a month-long journey that will orbit the moon and return to Earth in a critical demonstration of the, the full capabilities of the system. All right, so we've been waiting for this, Michael, for a long time, for years. What exactly has taken so long? Six years overdue, to be exact, and now running billions of dollars over budget. This is a very, very complex system that is aiming to achieve very, very difficult uh, 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 milestones as it tries to take a step beyond the Apollo era and go even further than before. Now, one really important thing to keep in mind is that this has enjoyed really strong bipartisan support in, the, in Congress and in the last few White House administrations, as it supports around 70,000 U.S. jobs with over 3,800 suppliers in every single U.S. state with every big-name aerospace contractor you can think of involved. Listen, I think it's cool. I love space travel, Michael. I hope that this maybe brings in some small way. One small step for man brings the country back together over something that we can all agree is fun and neat. I will ask this, though. Why are we going back to the moon? What exactly are we, what exactly are we looking for? Well, the Apollo program was the birthplace of so many great technologies that Americans enjoy and use today. And NASA sees 
this as an opportunity to take that even further. Instead of just going for a few years, they want to establish what they describe as a sustainable presence. Whether SLS and Orion are the answer to that and are the sustainable option that they want it to be is going to be uh, really decided today as they need this system to work due to the very high uh, dollar figure that it comes at with $4.1 billion to launch and up to $93 billion in projected cost by the time the first uh, humans are landed on the moon in 2025. 2025. Well, been what, 60 years or 55 and a half since we last did it? Why not do it again? Michael Sheets down at the Kennedy Space Center. Look forward to that launch today. Mike, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Something very cool. All right, let's get a check down some of this morning's other top headlines, including the Buffalo Bills making a big move after a very disturbing allegation over one of its players, Philip Menes in New York, with that headline and more. Philip. Yeah, we'll get to that one in just a moment. Brian, good morning. We'll start off with a deadly shooting, another one overnight inside of a supermarket. Police are reporting that two people were killed inside a Safeway in Bend, Oregon. The gunman is believed to have used an AR-15 style weapon. Authorities say they found the suspect deceased inside the store when they arrived. More information about the suspect and the victims is expected later this morning. The Buffalo Bills have cut rookie punter Matt Ariza over the weekend, days after he was accused of taking part in the rape of a 17-year-old last year. Ariza was named in a civil suit, which alleges that he and two San Diego State University teammates raped the girl in an off-campus party after he gave her an alcoholic drink. No one has been charged in connection with the allegations. The Bills say they, the lawsuit brought forward new information, but the team admits it has known about the allegations as early as July. Ariza denied the allegations and said in a statement on Friday that he looked forward to quickly setting the record straight. A grand slam sum for a baseball card at auction. This rare 1952 mint condition Mickey Mantle Tops card sold for an astonishing $12.6 million. That is the most ever paid for any sports memorabilia. ESPN reports that that card sat in the basement of a Tops truck driver for years before a collector bought it in the 1980s. Then it passed from collector to collector until selling for that massive price. Finally, one of golf's brightest stars rallied to win the biggest prize on the PGA Tour. An unbelievable 31-foot birdie putt on the 15th hole helped Rory McIlroy claw back from a six-stroke deficit to triumph at the 2022 Tour Championship. He narrowly edged out the world's top player, Scotty Scheffler, to claim the $18 million prize. McIlroy closed with a 4-under 66 in Atlanta. He is now the first three-time winner in the history of the FedEx Cup. Quite an impressive comeback, Brian. And quite a living if you're good enough to do it. Yep. It's amazing. Philomena, thank you very much. You got it. I am not. That is why we are here. All right, still ahead. Have investors lost all faith in the Fed to fight inflation? Futures are down across the board as confidence in Jay Powell seems to plummet. We'll be right back with more on the markets and your money after this. Stick around. The market's Fed fall looks to continue. Stocks down as confidence in Jay Powell seems to swoon. Futures are lower once again. Europe's energy crisis getting worse as costs continue to soar. And your morning RBI shines a light on the real-world impact of it and why some of Britain's most iconic businesses may be at risk. It's happening on this Monday, August 29th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. 
All right, welcome and welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. It is about 5.30 on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Get right now to your Monday Money with Stock Futures because they are lower across the board. Of course, the market's coming off a tough Friday and a rough week for stocks. And here's kind of a, I'll wait for the music to stop. Dun, 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 dun. According to Ryan Dietrich, Friday was only the 13th time ever that the Dow fell more than 1,000 points. All this is Jay Powell threw a new word into the mix in Jackson Hole, quote, forcefully saying, restoring price stability will take some time and requires using our tools forcefully. That F word, spooking stocks and taking indexes down 3 and 4% on Friday alone. As of this morning, Fed funds futures show odds of a 75 basis point or better said three quarters of 1% are now above 70%. So a 70% chance we get a 0.75 increase in interest rates at the September meeting. In the oil market, crude oil does remain elevated in price. Right now it is at about 94 and change and a terrible milestone of sorts in the European energy markets. The price of spot natural gas is now above 100 U.S. dollars per contract equivalent. Now, that shows 300, but that's euros per megawatt hour. The conversion back to dollars and how we price it comes out to about 100 U.S. bucks. Keep in mind, we're paying just over nine bucks. And this morning, German electricity prices, actual wholesale electricity, hitting nearly $1,000 per megawatt hour. We in America would consider a few days above $100 per megawatt hour as high. They're at $1,000, $100 is high here. And in your RBI in a few minutes, we're going to highlight the real-world impact of this on some of Britain's most iconic businesses. All right, let's talk more about all this in the global energy market. And welcome back in. Sadat Al-Husseini is founder and president of Husseini Energy. Um, It's great to have you and speak with you again, Mr. Al-Husseini. I mean... The CEO of Shell, Ben Van Burden, came out today and said, this crisis is not about one winter. This could last for a long time. Do you agree? And if so, or if not, why? Well, good morning, Brian. Uh, No, he's absolutely right, because uh, what we've done essentially is knocked out 10 percent of the world's production, which is Russia, and and put it on hold. Uh, They are a big gas producer. 60 billion cubic feet of gas, and that's not going to go to Europe anymore, uh, just a matter of time. And the U.S. doesn't have the capacity to fill that up, and uh, the OPEC producers are not gas producers. In any case, there isn't any LNG capacity in the world to make up for the Russian exports to, uh, to Europe. They were running at about 14 billion cubic feet. Now, if this situation in, in the Ukraine is not resolved, and it's unlikely to get resolved, Uh, We're looking at a uh, ceasefire, probably an embargo that will go on for years. And uh, then we have to find the the resources to replace that. That's going to take years. So, yeah, I think he's absolutely right. This situation is is a new world and it's not a very good one for energy. But there is leverage that the world has over Russia. I mean, by all accounts, they can't hold out forever. I mean, they need the money, do they not? I mean, how much, how, how much pain do you think Russia, and Vladimir Putin in particular, Sadat, is willing to inflict on his country and his people? 
Yeah, uh, Brian, you're absolutely right. Nobody's winning in this conflict. Uh, both sides are, are taking a severe hit to their economy and to their future, to their outlook. But Russia does have outlets. Russia can go to China, can go to uh, uh, Japan, can go to India. It, it's got uh, plenty of alternatives. Europe does not have alternative energy sources. They use, the U.S. is maxed out already. Uh, North Africa has got problems. You know what's going on in Libya. They're back on the revolution. Uh, OPEC itself, by the time you add Angola, Nigeria, and Libya's underperformance, uh, that's almost one and a half, two million barrels out of OPEC's capacity that has not been delivering. So uh, it's a global problem. Uh, Russia will probably suffer severely. Uh, we know that's happening. Uh, how much will the Russian people take? Uh, who can tell? But uh, the rest of the world is suffering with them. Uh, there's no winner in this war. Everybody's a loser. No. Yeah, that's it, well said. Listen, there, there are new Russian oil export sanctions. I know we talk a lot about sanctions. I'm not sure our global audience fully understands that the full sanctions on Russian oil exports don't kick in until December 5th. A lot of people are predicting some pretty dire things when that occurs. Sadat, I was just in Germany a few weeks ago. Listen, I had conversations with just sort of, you know, everyday citizens. I can't speak for the nation, but I can tell you the people I spoke with, Sadat, they did not seem enthusiastic about losing their jobs or risk freezing because of Ukraine. I'm not making a value judgment. It's what they said. Do you think there's any chance that the EU postpones these sanctions because they don't want to deal with an already angry populace that is really worried about making it through the winter. Well, Brian, it's a two-way street. Uh, let's say the European Union decides that this is too fast and too deep, and they decide to uh, be a little bit more prudent and extend uh, these uh, sanctions to a later date. But now you've got to convince the Russians that they want to go along, and, and the Russians even at $70, $80 a barrel and even producing 9 million barrels, are doing fairly well. Uh, they're, they're not hurting as badly as the Europeans. And they don't have a population that is going to get upset with the government like the Europeans do. So it's a two-way street. I think it's going to be a very painful negotiation for a ceasefire. Uh, but if not done, uh, the European economy is going to be in shambles for a long time. And, and the Russians may recover a lot sooner than Europe. It's unbelievable. And we just showed German power prices more than a thousand euros per megawatt hour. Simply insane what's happening there. Sadat Hosseini, we'll get your views very soon again because this is not going away. It's probably the most important economic story and human story in the world. Sadat, thank you very much. Have a nice day. All right, coming up, we're going to stay on that. I want you to imagine if your favorite local restaurant or bar had to shut down, not because of COVID but because they couldn't afford to pay their energy bills. It's what may be happening in the UK. And we have it with your human angle in your morning RBI coming up. Plus, Robert Frank with new numbers on why returning to the office in New York City may not mark a return to normal for many companies. There's a difference. We'll talk about it coming up. Stick around.
All right, time now for your morning RBI. And today's most random but interesting thing goes out to all of our friends in the UK because the name of this show, Worldwide Exchange, is not an accident. We go out live around the world. And I know that we've got a lot of loyal fans in Great Britain, so thank you. We also know it's going to be a tough winter in many ways for millions of families over there. Heating costs are going to get out of control. They already are in some cases. And for our American viewers who maybe wonder, why do we spend so, well, why do I spend so much time talking about this topic? It's because this is not an energy story. This is a human story in the end. Millions feeling the pain of years of poor policies, bad luck with the weather, and being overly reliant on a madman in Moscow for cheap natural gas. And while we show you charts of energy prices going up, up, up nearly every day, let's try to talk more about the real world impact. This tweet caught our eye over the weekend. It is from a British pub called The Rose and Crown. They showed their followers what they are facing in their next contract for natural gas. Remember, in the UK, prices reset every three months on average. The pub posted their bill. They said their current price is about 15 pence per unit. But the next offer from British Gas is 97 pence per contract. Folks, that's a 545% jump in price. 545%. Now this pub's expected gas bill is going to be about 62,000 pounds per year or about 75,000 American dollars. 75,000 American dollars for heat. Now multiply this by thousands of pubs across the UK. And it doesn't seem possible they could ever charge enough for beer and food to cover this jump in costs. In fact, the head of the British Beer and Pub Association just said that the jump in energy costs, quote, will cause more damage to our industry than the pandemic. Nothing is done in the next few weeks. I want you to think about that. More damage to the bar and restaurant business than COVID? And it's very possible thousands of pubs will have to close up and lay off Huge numbers of people in the UK. It's also an important part of much of England's local culture. So imagine in America, if your most loved bar or restaurant, you go there all the time. They just shut down for weeks, months, or forever because they couldn't pay their heating bill this winter. It's a tough and sad time. And if it wasn't 5.45 in the morning here in the States, we would raise a glass for all of our friends in the UK. All we can do is a coffee. It's not their fault. But they're paying the price, hopefully, not a sign of things to come here. Random, but interesting. All right, companies throughout New York City gearing up for more employees to return to the office after Labor Day. But expectations for bustling offices after more than two and a half years of work from home may be met with a more stark reality. Robert Frank joining us now with more on new figures on what return to work may look like. And I'm telling you, Robert, any of our viewers that has walked down Midtown Four out of every five retail spaces seems to be empty, and you wonder if they're coming back. You do wonder if they're coming back, especially after Labor Day, Brian. It reached the 40% mark in June, but Manhattan's back-to-work rate has actually plateaued since then. The latest numbers from Castle's back-to-work barometer shows the occupancy rate in 38% back in mid-August. That was below that recent peak of 41% in June More than 20% of Manhattan's offices are now vacant. That's more than 50 million square feet. As you mentioned, a lot of that in Midtown. Many New Yorkers go away for the summer, of course, but even the most optimistic scenarios now show only about half of New York office workers will be back in the office by the end of the year. 
The New York Controller is citing a big disconnect between employees and CEOs. Only about a third of employees expect to be back in the office more than two days a week. But among CEOs, most expect three days a week or more. The controller is saying, quote, based on current data, employer expectations and employee preferences, these rates have largely stabilized and appear unlikely to rise quickly in the coming months. Now, the partnership for New York City, a little more optimistic, saying office presence could reach 50 percent on average weekday before the end of the year. They actually say that younger employees are mostly back, but the biggest resistance right now is coming from older workers who live in the suburbs. And of course, Brian, do not miss the commute. No, they don't. And, you know, we've got friends, Robert, you know them, I know them, that are already back in the city and they pretty much just dart in and dart out. It's kind of this weird self-fulfilling downward spiral, right? It's like they don't hang out because there's not a lot to do anymore, but there's not a lot to do anymore because people aren't hanging out. I mean, do you see some kind of inflection point? Well, that's what they're hoping. You know, we're, we're at yet another Labor Day where it's kind of the third one during <laughs> since covid where all the uh, CEOs and companies are hoping that people really come back to work. And I suspect we will see the highest numbers yet for return to work. But until we get that critical mass of both businesses, of people in the office, where you feel like it's worth it to go to the office, we're really not going to get, quote, back to normal. You know, and, and I hate to say it, but Robert, I, crime is a big part. I hear it from people all the time. If they don't feel safe, on the subways or walking through Times Square, uh, they're, they're, I was just in Times Square a couple weeks ago. People open drug use in the middle of the day. Not a huge deal, I guess, but for many people, it is. Yeah, it, it's gotten better. I take the subway every day. The subway has gotten better. But that perception of a dangerous subway, dangerous streets is part of what's keeping people yep. away. And that's why it's not going to be instant that everyone comes back yep yeah it's an important point i was on the subway as well i felt fine but for people if they don't feel safe perception does indeed become reality robert frank uh, a really important story people coming back in we'll see how it shakes out scary time robert thank you all right on deck stocks set to pick up where they left off on friday with more selling post jackson hole hennessy funds josh wine is here to lay out the trading day and maybe some stock picks You want to think, be optimistic, long-term. Future's down, but think long-term. We'll talk about some names ahead, and if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. We're back right after this. All right, welcome, welcome back. As we get to another trading week and just another week, we're going to be watching the Dallas Fed manufacturing numbers for August throughout at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You're also going to hear from Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainerd at 2.15 this afternoon. See if she walks back maybe some of that forcefully language of Jay Powell and sent it down. And outside of markets, which are all doom and gloom, this is fun. NASA's Artemis One space mission. That is a live look. Kennedy Space Center set to launch this morning. You can see it T-minus two hours, 10 minutes. I'm sure we'll bring it to you live. It is one of, if not the most powerful NASA rocket ever. I cannot wait to watch that. All right. Meantime, the market's route set to not, well, I should say blast off. Cue the music. 
Following Friday's <laughs> Fed fueled sell off, stock futures right now down 282 points on the Dow. Joined now by Josh Whiney, his portfolio manager at Hennessy Funds. I know it's at 5.50 in the morning, Josh. The music kind of jarring us all awake, I think. It's scary stuff. Listen, you want to buy low for the future. I mean, let's be optimistic here, right? Stocks go down, they go up 77% of the time. Stocks rise. If you're looking for five or 10 years out, I've got to imagine there are opportunities that you've got your eye on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good to be with you. Good morning. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that it's first important to kind of, you know, piece out like the, the economy versus the stock market. So the economy, certainly many challenges. We have a, an inverted yield curve and some aggressive talk from the Fed on on interest rate hikes. So it's a little scary. And I think my fear is that it shakes people out of the market. The market, I always think, looks out at least two to four years, probably three to five. And I think it is a good time. You know, we're we're right at about 17 times forward earnings, 10 years around 310. So that, you know, roughly 6% earnings yield uh, with a 3% backdrop on the 10-year, it remains very compelling. And, and, you know, I remain very bullish. Yeah, I mean, and stocks may go down. September is the worst month of the year historically for the stock market. We got these energy crises, got the China threats. Nobody's saying the markets can't go down further. But if you're looking at a name uh, that you like, like a Scholastic Corporation, not a name we talk about a lot, I got to imagine there are millions of children who have got a lot of making up to do around America because of lockdowns from education. Is that one of the reasons you like Scholastic longer term? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my, my kids start school today in about two hours. And in and, and, and honor of that, as well as just the, the fundamental case for for Scholastic. Yeah. I mean, they certainly you know took it on the chin during the pandemic with, you know, book fair sales and and, the, you know, their traditional publishing business. But, yeah, they in the last year have made up a lot of lost ground. So this is a holding in our cornerstone Hennessy Cornerstone Growth Fund. So we're looking at earnings growth and momentum and valuation and, you know, Revenue growth in the last year is, has been phenomenal. Uh, you know, trades at about seven times cash flow. And, and this is the kind of company that, you know, has a lot of staying power, relatively low business risk. I mean, I don't think we're worried about them becoming obsolete. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not a technology company or a healthcare company. And, and I think these are the types of solid companies yeah. that I think we know they're going to be around in five to 10 years and, and we don't have to worry about that so much. And, and I love talking about companies that don't get a lot of attention because they've got a much larger rival that gets all the love. Costco. Everyone just Costco this. No one yeah. talks about BJ's Wholesale Club, but they're kind of a mini Costco with a lot of gas stations attached. Yeah, absolutely. If you close your eyes and enter a BJ's and open them, you probably would think you're in a Costco. Uh, and I'm sure Costco would say otherwise. But, yeah, very similar. And it lives. it absolutely <laughs> lives in the shadow of Costco. You know, we've been talking about this name for a while now, you know, also in our Hennessy Cornerstone Growth Fund and BJ's is about 290 stores. You know, about 70% have gas stations. And I think that's been the key, you know, cheap gas, luring people in and, and helping, you know, keep them loyal uh, to the brand. You know, renewal rates at about 90%. Yeah. Great name, great growth, great free cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, we got a wrap. I'm getting the I'm getting the hook myself. Don't worry, it's not you, it's me. Josh no, Wine, Hennessy Funds. <laughs> BJ's and Scholastic, glad your kid's going back to school. Have a great first day. Thank you very much, Josh. Thank you all for watching us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you tomorrow. Squawk is next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.